Welcome to the Craft of Writing podcast with me, your host, Sam Hall. Welcome back to the Craft of Writing podcast. Today on the show, we've got Gus Gowland. I first discovered Gus's uh, music on Twitter um, as kind of all of these, like actually loads of composers I seem to be discovering now on Twitter, like all the time. Um, but I saw uh, some clips of his musical Mayflies, which was recently at the York Theatre Royal um, and was just taken back. It's such a, a lovely, fresh score and looked like a really interesting piece, which we'll talk about later. Um, but for now, hello, Gus. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. So, Gus, can you please tell us about your journey up to now? I can, yeah. Um, so I trained as an actor originally. I went to um, what is now the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland um, and did acting. And I, I'd always loved musicals. Like, I loved musicals when I was a teenager. And when I was – I didn't do musical theatre at drama school. I did acting. But I was, like, the guy in the year that loved musicals. That was sort of my my defining feature. Nice. Um, and I was, and it was great because compared to all the actors there that didn't really sing, I was a really good singer. <laughs> if you put me, if you put me against people that were training in musical theatre, I wouldn't have um, had a chance. But but it gave me a little moment of being like, oh, I can sing. Um, and so when I was at drum school, I was writing songs. I wrote some music for some some of the plays. I wrote two songs for our final musicals. So I was sort of dabbling in it in a really loose way. And then, uh, as is typical of actors, I started making my own work because I wasn't getting enough of other work. And um, one of the things that I made was uh, a one-man musical called Tell Me On A Thursday. Um, spot the pun. And um, <laughs> I did that at uh, the Camden Fringe. And I was in it and I wrote it. And um, it was just basically lots of stories about my quite disastrous up to that point um dating and sex life um and it gave me the confidence to think oh like actually maybe this is where I should be putting my energies and so that led me to Goldsmiths to do the musical theatre MA course there in musical theatre writing um and sort of ever since I left that but just over a decade ago I've been sort of forging my way in musical theatre writing I was still acting for a while it took a while to sort of finally let go of that dream um but uh yeah about five years ago five six years ago i sort of was like what are you doing writing musicals is what you love to do it's where it's where you're getting any sort of success or work so let's just lose the acting and concentrate on writing and so that's what i've been doing ever since really what was your first um production sort of after graduating what was the first one to get actually on a stage and what was that journey the first one to get on a stage was Pieces of String, which was my first full-length musical. Um, and uh, it was actually my grad show from uh, from Goldsmiths. So we were given half an hour to 45 minutes worth of time to do with as we wished. And I did my MA over two years part-time because I had to still work to be able to 
paid to do it. Of course. And um, <laughs> but the benefit of that meant that I was able to see all of the people in the first year that I was working with them um, do their forty-five minutes, half an hour, and and see how they use their time. And I really noticed that there were some of them that that had sort of full length two and a half two hour shows and they did excerpts and a couple of people just did a, a sort of one act short musical and I felt like for me that was much more satisfying as an audience member um, and actually it showed off what those writers could do better than showing bits of a bigger show because that requires so much investment from the audience of like filling in the gaps and um and so that was really helpful. And I was like, I'm going to write a short musical. So I wrote Pieces of String as a sort of 35 minute long one-up musical that was completely self-contained. And I never intended it to be anything other than that. Um, and uh, But I invited Andy and Wendy Barnes of Perfect Pitch um, because I wanted them to see the work and see me and know who I was. And I didn't really know how, how the whole industry worked. Um, but I was just like, well, if they know who I am, then that's they know who I am. And like, yeah. who knows? That's that's how things happen. Um, and actually what they did is is to say that they wanted to take on pieces of string, um, which was amazing and exciting and very overwhelming. Mm. And uh, and they said some very lovely things as well, which was I mean, Andy and Wendy Barnes, I, I can't like I cannot praise them enough um I, I think they're sort of entirely responsible for me having any sort of career uh, but also I think there's a huge amount of us that could say the same thing of Andy and Wendy Barnes um but they they just said really lovely things about me and my writing that was you know they were like regardless of whether you come with us and develop this show regardless of what we do like we think you're a really interesting writer and we wish you lots of luck and just having that confidence in something that I was just beginning to do from people that I knew or I felt knew what they were talking about was was huge and um and but so I did decide to work with them and develop pieces of string which was a challenge because I'd worked so hard to make it half an hour long and then suddenly everything that I was adding felt a bit like filler because I streamlined it so much um but we did it over time. We sort of we did a we did many workshops for every year for about five years. We sort of did another workshop, and each workshop it got a little bit longer. And maybe there was a new character in this version, and um, and yeah, and and through them, the brilliance of Perfect Pitch developing is that they took on all the legwork of sort of producing. So all I had to do was write, and they organised when we did workshops. They got people in to see it and so through them and through a reading that we did we got the Mercury Theatre Colchester on board uh, to produce it along with the booking office who were commercial producers and so um, eventually there were lots of near misses <laughs> lots of lots of versions of the show that were going to happen that didn't happen lots of tours and lots of different creative people coming on board that sort of because of scheduling and money and all those things didn't quite happen and eventually we made it to Mercury Theatre. We opened in 2018 uh, and had a run there, which was incredible and amazing. And we filmed it for digital theatre. So the whole show is available on digital theatre, which has been huge because there's no cast recording. So having that out there has meant loads of people have found that show in the in the subsequent years. And it's given it 
a much bigger life than it should have had for two weeks in Colchester. Yeah. Did you extend it to a two-act sort of commercial length show? Is that what? Yeah. Yeah, and that was a battle. There was a long wow. time. From 30 where... minutes to two and a half or whatever. I know, That's I know. <laughs> there, was a, there, was, yeah, there was a lot of... I, I took a long time to get on board with an interval. In my head, it would always been a one-act show. And partly that's because I'd the work that I'd been making, whether as, as an actor creating my own work or like a lot of the work I've been in, had been so studio-based because it, you can do that. You can just make it happen. And actually, my ambition in, and scope was, was not wide enough that, yeah, it, just, it took me a long time to to get into that mind space of being like, no, I can write a two act show that's going to go into like a main house theatre. This isn't a one act studio theatre. It was realising that with the support of Andy and Wendy and with the producers on board, that the, the, the show was bigger than I had originally envisioned it. And so it took a lot of time to, to figure that out. And, and I really did resist the interval for a long time until I found a way to make it makes sense for me in the story and as soon as i did that it was like okay fine i've got it now that's okay <laughs> and going forward do you now only do that sort of two-act structure or do you want to no do you um, spice it up yeah i mean mayflies was one act straight through of course, yeah. um 90 minutes um so yeah no it's sort of it's really about trying to listen to the story and what the story needs and that's tough because sometimes other people Producers particularly will will have needs that aren't really story related, but are more financial that make you want to have a interval because Selling copious amounts of wine. Exactly. <laughs> and a lot of a lot of theatres charge more for the rental of the theatre if there's no interval because they know they can't make the money ah. on the bar. So actually to to produce a one act musical in a lot, particularly regional theatres, can cost more than it would if it was two act because you, you're sort of subsidising the loss on bar. Um, so there's always those things, and I, and it's about it's about balancing that that the artistic and the commercial, isn't it? And about and that was what it was for me about really how do I find a way to make this decision that has come maybe from a more financial area make sense dramaturgically and make sense for the story and as soon as I could and there is there's usually always a way I think um but it's just about you as a writer finding it so that you don't feel like you're being pushed to tell the story in a way that doesn't make sense for you and I think Andy and Wendy were brilliant at that at like not rushing me at not forcing me to do anything but just sort of making making me question and ask myself is this possible how is it possible what can an interval add in terms of the storytelling because an interval is a brilliantly useful thing for giving the audience a breather giving them time to to sort of think about what's coming next next get excited to process what's gone before um if you use it well an interval is your is your friend but um it took me a long time to learn that i met someone and they promised they would show me all the movies you're meant to see Show me films that I'd somehow never got to Like The Goonies and The Godfather 1, 2, and 3 We had made ourselves a spreadsheet All we had to do was watch Soon enough they decided we weren't dating So the spreadsheet sat there waiting And so I 
took some time to so how do you use harmony within your work um well so i am self-taught piano player um and i'm not very good and i'm not being modest i'm really really not people always like oh, yeah. i'm like i'm not i can't play most of my music i've got quite an unusual technique in that i write a lot of music by eye in that i can notate full piano vocal parts but i can't play them because i just don't have the dexterity um and and i often write at piano so because i was an actor who sang i learned how to play introductions and then melodies and chords like that so that i could then play an introduction and then note bash and start accompanying myself singing mm -hmm. and so i think in chords primarily i think rather than keys um which can cause some battles with musical directors <laughs> who when we're trying to, to talk and we have different languages um but that tends to be how i how i yeah how i think about songs and i it, it depends entirely like some bits of music i'll just sit at the piano and i'll sort of noodle around and i'll find a little motif or a little riff or something and then I may, i'll maybe record that into my computer and loop it so that i can improvise over the top of it and that forms the structure sometimes i'll write an entire song sort of like lead sheety so just chords and a melody with me and then that will be the foundation and then i'll notate that and start filling out the accompaniment once i've got that to work with um but it's it's a source of endless frustration to me that i can't play my own music mm. um and also i think is a benefit because i think i write sometimes slightly unusually because of that um and yeah so um yeah i think the main thing for me is that i tend to think in terms of chords and i think probably my biggest inspiration for that is is someone like william finn who i feel like even though he's an amazing musician his music whenever i play his music it feels quite chordal in its a lot of his accompaniments are quite chordal and so that speaks to me quite a lot um but yeah it's a, it's a challenge outside of the musical theater world are there any musical influences that you take into your writing yeah, and I, yeah, there is. And I think it depends on the show. So uh, for Mayflies, for example, I really wanted one of the characters to have a real sort of singer-songwriter vibe. Um, because the characters... So Mayflies is a show that's written about two people that meet online, have a really long courtship, and then meet in real life finally and sort of have one night and we see what happens and whether it works or whether it doesn't. And, um, and I wanted to write the show in a way that meant that those parts could be played by anybody. So there's no gender, age, race, sexuality specified. Mm. And so I had to make sure when I was writing the songs, there was a way of, of ensuring that they had their own characters. And one of the ways I did that was through time signatures. And the other way was through sort of style and feel. And one of the characters had this singer-songwriter vibe. And so I was referring to quite a lot of yeah classic singer songwriters you know people like Joni Mitchell or Alanis Morissette um usually women um yeah that just was sort of the three chords and a guitar type um type songs and so yeah so that really that was really what I was using for that but I 
but I draw from everywhere. Like I'm, I'm one of those people that I feel like the more you know, the the more you can learn and the more you can find. So I don't, I don't eschew other bits of music when I'm writing. I don't shut myself off. Like I'm all for, okay, hang on, this is the vibe I want. Let me go and listen to that. Let me look at the score. Let me see how they've done it. And then hopefully I'll find a way to do it that works through my voice. But like, I feel like I need to do that to understand what they've done rather than just going, okay, I'm going to try and write, you know, I'm going to write my both sides now. And like, the only way I'm going to do that is if I sit there and I look at both sides now and I understand structurally what Joni's done and, you know, where it goes with the melody and the chords. And then once I've done that, I can start figuring it out. We looked at the painting, we wanted the same thing. We made sure it matches, didn't see where the catch is. The puzzle provided, the colours collided. You saw them like I did, like a jigsaw. All the pieces seem to fit together side by side. So neatly put together, oh, oh. When you take a step back, then you notice the crack. It's an easy mistake to make. So, uh, lyric writing, the thing I find the hardest, how do you go about it? I think it is the hardest, um, definitely. Um, it's the thing that I think if I had to sacrifice, it would be the f- any of the three book musical lyrics. Lyrics would be the one that I'd hold on to. Um, it's the hardest, but I think it's the thing that I find most satisfying. Um, and it's probably the thing that I think I'm best at if I had to choose. Um, but don't make me choose. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so uh, lyrically, I again, it changes for every show and what I'm trying to say. Um, the main thing for me is thinking about how the character speaks to make sure that the lyrics sounds like them. I write book musicals, so they, as in I write musicals that have a lot of scenes i don't write sung through stuff or at least i haven't yet and so that transition between spoken dialogue and sung words is really important and making sure that we don't suddenly lose the vernacular and and we sound like well now we're in a different place and still being able to keep an element of lyricism i think I, i find that challenge a challenge but also really satisfying when you get it right um and so uh often I'll start with a title um that's usually the thing that I start with and that gives me an idea of what the song's going to be about typically some sort of hook phrase or idea I love you know like I will sit there on idioms.com and just be like okay let me find a an expression or a phrase that that is in the vernacular Sometimes I'll try and do a sundime and make up my own one, but um, it doesn't always work that well. So, idioms.com, is that a thing? I, yes, it is, yeah. I oh, think wow. So. I've never even um, thought about that. Or maybe it's maybe it's not idioms.com. I think it might be freedictionary.com, but they've got an idioms tab. Oh, wow. Um, and so, yeah, I'll do things like that. If like, okay, this song is about um, being tired. Let me search for idioms about tired. And there might be an expression or a phrase that I'm like, Great, that that feels like it would be a good starting point. Um, and then I try to, once I know what my title and my hook phrase is, um, I try and work from the chorus out. That's a relatively new process that started a little, it started with Mayflies, but I really feel comfortable now with that process. So I feel like I've maybe found the way I work finally. 
Um, but I'll start from the chorus out and yeah, figure out what the chorus is saying. Obviously do a sort of a treatment of each song so that I know, uh, you know, I write in sort of long form prose what is being said. I, I know who they're speaking to, where they are, all of those sort of, all of all of those things that affect what the moment is. And then I'll, I'll, I'll have a think about, usually I decide on the structure before I'm started writing it. So I might be like, I think this is going to be verse, pre-chorus, chorus, verse, pre-chorus, bridge, chorus. That might change, but it gives me something to work with. And once I've got that, I'll then write in long form, you know, verse one, blah, blah, is talking to blah, blah, and annoyed about this. And they do this. And then, and I do that. So I've got sort of a rough, yeah, just a stage direction, essentially, about what has got to happen. And then I start gradually filling it out and, you know, starting with the chorus, getting that. And then uh, once I've got the chorus lyrically and then musically, I will then go back and do start from the beginning because I know then both lyrically and musically where I've got to get to um, for sort of the height. And yeah, that's what I, that's what I tend to do at the moment. And it seems to be pretty productive in terms of just making things happen um i can i can um and ah about lyrics and music forever and actually this process i've, I've found has been really good at getting work written mm. and um and written quite quickly and i i didn't know that i was a quick writer but it turns out that i i am a quick writer because mayflies was written in record time um and How so long, if we might ask uh, so I started writing it in October and it was on in the end of April. Wow. Which is crazy. Yeah. Like insane. I, I had the idea last June on holiday. Um, I pitched it in July. The theatre commissioned it in August. Um, I was doing rewrites for pieces of string. So I didn't really get, I wrote one song for it, but apart from that, I didn't do anything else on it until October. And then I just went full steam ahead and we had a draft of the script by December because we did two days workshop and I had three songs, I think. And then, yeah. And then just frantically writing it. So, but also I was writing, what I found is I'd write, I wrote three or four songs for each point. And, um, and the final songs that got in there would maybe take a day or two. And I was like, I've written this so quick, but actually I'd spent three weeks working on that song. I'd just written three other versions that were, that weren't as good. Um, and yeah, so having that structure just really works for me. I love, I'm, I'm see, once you get me started on lyrics, I can't stop. <laughs> I love, I love the wordplay of lyrics. I love alliteration. I love what imagery can do in lyrics. Um, I do, I do quite a lot of repetition. So I've, quite, I've noticed a habit of mine is sort of having sort of, similar construction for each verse that slightly alters as it develops um yeah i just find it i find the craft of lyric writing really fun which is a reason why i'm one of those slightly traditional old-fashioned people that that balks a little bit at false rhymes and half rhymes partly because i was it was drummed into me when i learned that that, that they were the devil the devil's work um but actually I, I'm loosening my grip on them. And I wrote a song because I was doing this singer songwriter vibe for one of the characters in Mayflies. I wrote a song that was, that is f like barely rhymes in a pure way at all. I did make sure that all of the rhymes were 
two syllable. So I was like, at least it feels like there's some craft. I'm not just rhyming time with fine. I'm like, I'm, I'm finding a two syllable. Cause, cause when it's done like that, like Lima Miranda does it, like it's, there is craft in the false rhymes because it's about the assonance. Mm. Um, but I think quite often there are false, there are songs that don't use pure rhymes and it's just because they haven't found a very good rhyme as opposed to they're using the skill of lyric writing and playing with not rhyming. And I was really strict as well about one character would false rhyme all the time and the other one would very rarely do it. And it was like, I'm like, again, for me, it's all about dramaturgy. It's all about making sense. I think you can get away with anything as long as you understand why your character is doing that. And as soon as you can just hear that the writer is being the writer and it isn't the characters, I think that's when it goes out the window for me a little bit. Sticks and stones, they're breaking my bones, you're breaking my heart. Oh, they throw sticks and stones, they're breaking my bones, you're breaking my heart. Standing in the shadow, sticks and stones, then breaking my shadow. So when you finished your lyric and you're really happy with it, how do you then um, construct a melody around that? Um, well, it, again, it all, it all depends. Sometimes if I've got like a musical motif or something, then I'll, like I said, I'll just, I'll loop that and just improvise over the top of it, just singing and find something. Um, sometimes I'll just, yeah, usually I'll, I'll I'll start by singing, whether it's improvising over a looped piece of music or just playing chords and and singing until I start to find something. Um, and once I've got that, I will then um, figure out what the dots are and start thinking, looking at how I can alter it, embellish it. But it usually just comes from singing primarily over the top of something, going for a walk and singing. Um, I know that like the voice notes of every musical theatre composer's phone are just bits of song and like I mean I'm sure everyone's are but mine are so awful mm. because you're like trying to do it quietly and then you listen to them back and you're like I can't even tell what tune this is because I've just <laughs> I've lost all sense of melody trying to sing it quietly um, but actually where I live now in New York it's a really lovely sort of estate and it's really quiet so I'm I feel quite lucky that I can walk around now and just sing at the top of my lungs and not and not worry about it so my voice notes have got considerably better <laughs> amazing oh how so did you live in London obviously when you were studying yeah was, how come you moved up to York so my partner got a job up here he's from North Yorkshire originally um and I was doing a PhD at the time and uh so was like I'm a student and I'm a writer and I can be anywhere so we were like, let's give it a go. I'm from London. I've lived there all of my life, apart from when I was at drama school. Um, but so I, I was just really ready for a, for a change, I think. And um, it was a really good opportunity for my partner. So I was like, well, let's give it a go. So we moved here in 2019. And it's been odd, obviously, because the pandemic happened. Well, the first year I was here, I was finishing my PhD. So I was sort of shut off from the world just doing that. and then. Um, and then the pan I finished it like at the beginning of the pandemic and we had those strange two years 
And now I feel like I'm starting to really find my foothold here. So I'm resident artist at York Theatre Royal, which has been amazing. And it was through that connection that I was able to pitch Mayflies to them um, because I, you know, I knew who they were and I knew what the theatre was looking for. And I was like, I think this could be it. And because they knew me and trusted me, they commissioned me, which is amazing. So it's, yeah, it's worked out really well. I teach as well at um, Leeds Conservatoire, um, the postgraduate um, musical theatre courses. So just a couple of days a week. So I feel like, I feel like it's been really beneficial, but it's hard because I keep, because so much of the work is still in London. Um, and um, as long as you can afford to get back when you need to, which so far I've been able to do, and my family is still in London, so I've always got somewhere to stay, thankfully, um, without having to pay for a hotel or anything. Um, and so that's made it okay. But I think it would be, yeah, it would be harder if I didn't have that access to London. Like, for example, I was down for two weeks in in January workshopping uh, pieces of string. Um, I'm down next week because I've got a song cycle at King's Head. Um, I feel like I'm sort of down quite a lot for quite, considerable you know a week or two weeks at a time mm. so um yeah it's 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 not always easy um but it, it's worth it for what you get in terms of peace space yeah right what was your phd in musical theater gay musicals so i'm a doctor of gay musicals officially um amazing but i know yeah so it was <laughs> It was about gay male representation in musical theatre, and and pieces of string actually was was the submission. So I did practice based. So half of it was a show, and half of it was the thesis. I mean, I still had to write fifty thousand words for goodness' sake, but um, wow. I know. But um, but then I was able to submit the the digital theatre filmed version of piece of string, um, which was great. So piece of string has got me through a lot of higher education. Fantastic. <laughs> Nothing but simple, easy, unseen. Better to hide away. Sometimes it's best to stay ordinary. I know this is not a smooth road we are traveling. So um, another massive part of writing musicals is the sound of the musical and the orchestration. How much say uh, do you have in it and have you had in your previous work? Do you work with an orchestrator or do you do it all yourself? Tell me. Um, so I don't do it myself. I'm like, I'm a huge believer in getting the right people for the, for the job. And I am not the right person for the orchestrating job. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, it's like I do what I do, which is writing the songs. And there are people that are far more skilled than I that orchestrate. And um, I've been lucky enough to work with a few different people on orchestrations. I'm always really heavily involved. Um, I'll always give a really strong indication of what I want or what I hear. I don't always hear songs with orchestrations. So sometimes people will say, you know, what instruments are you thinking for this? And, and I'm often like, I don't know. Like I haven't, I, I haven't, I, I hear the song, but I don't hear a fully orchestrated version. Um, and sometimes I do, you know, with Mayflies, I was much more, because particularly because I was, 
I knew the reference points a lot more. I was much more able to go, okay, listen to this, listen to the bass part in this Taylor Swift song or listen to the guitars in this. This is the vibe I'm going for. Um, and then we could, they could sort of find their own way to it. Um, and what I find is for me that the happiest place is when you get someone who listens to your references, goes away and brings you back something that, that sort of honors and acknowledges what you've heard or what you've thought and then adds that extra bit of magic that only could come from them and their knowledge. Um, and again, it's all about dramaturgy. As long as they're, I, if you've worked with some people who are just thinking musically and just thinking about how it sounds, and that's lovely if you're just making a recording or whatever, but I find that I, I can find that quite frustrating when you're thinking about the show because it's like, like no, like where this character is at this point, like that doesn't, work for them and so um, I've been really fortunate to work with people that do think about the show and the character and, and our dramatists you know that's what you want really I think is when you're making musicals is for all of your collaborators to be dramatists and all to like use their skill set to help tell the story uh, you don't want someone who just uses their skill set to make something you know so you don't want a choreographer who just makes nice dances you know they need to be a storyteller and similarly with orchestrate orchestrations um i always think about that that thing that um sondheim said about jonathan tunic with uh follies and in buddy's eyes and how um she's singing in buddy's eyes i'm young and beautiful and i think it's like Jonathan Tunick put really um, sort of really high wind instruments underneath it, which make it feel thin and flimsy and and tells the audience. And this is one of those things that sometimes says, and you're like, most people don't get that, Steve. But um, <laughs> but 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 to him, it was telling the audience that this was not secure, that it was a lie, that it wasn't real, um, because there was you know it didn't have the the gravitas didn't have the grounding of truth. It was, there was thin and floaty. And I think that just really struck me when I first heard that. And I was like, oh, that's what, that's that amazing subconscious thing that that orchestration can do with storytelling where you don't understand what it's doing, but it just helps with the mood and the atmosphere. Um, so yeah, I, orchestrations are amazing. And the, the feeling when you're, when you get a song that has been orchestrated back and you hear it in that way, that's like, you know, and I haven't been fortunate enough to have a song orchestrated for a, for a huge orchestra. I've only ever had, you know, small bands, but still the, the difference in what that can create compared to me and singing poorly with my little keyboard, you know, <laughs> is, is incredible. Um, yeah. And I don't think, or, well, I don't think, musical directors orchestrators get anywhere near enough credit for the work that they do in in helping to create work basically um yeah and it's a challenge i have to say because as someone who who writes songs but doesn't have the musical skills um to play them all and i you I know mean, i rely quite heavily on musical directors and arrangers and Sometimes I'll do all my own arrangements and sometimes the musical director will sex things up and make them better. And and finding that balance between, for me, I find really is challenging about where I feel like when, where are they just supporting 
what I'm trying to say and when do they start composing or start actually having a bit more ownership it's a really difficult balance and I feel like I have to always be really clear in the first conversations with people about like we've got to be really careful about this because because of my insecurity and because I will get like I will find it tricky if I ever feel like you are trying to rewrite my stuff Mm. um and yeah there's been a couple of tough conversations that I've had with people where I'm like and they have to go no it's not it's not I'm not doing that like fine but um and I think that's something that I was never taught or has never been explained to me that challenge so uh I still feel like I'm negotiating that but um I've been lucky with Paul Herbert who did Pieces of String and with Joe Church who did Mayflies I felt like we really found that great collaboration where they were always trying to serve the story and serve the work that I brought to them and were very understanding when I had like oh I feel like you're changing my song and they're like well then if that's what you feel then this is not the right thing to do and let's try something else um so yeah vital So here comes the bitchy question. What don't you like about musical theatre writing, about maybe about the industry? Ooh, That's bitch. Oh my God. How long have you got? Well, keep it, keep it re- <laughs> yeah. relatively short. But. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, what I don't like about musical theatre writing is, it's a little bit unfair to say this, but I don't like work that feels too... Uh, that doesn't have its own identity. And I I say it's a little bit unfair because I think every writer has to go through that process to find their own identity. If you listen to my early work, like you can just hear every song and be like, "Mm, that's that person, that's that person, because you're drawing on those influences. So it's a little bit unfair, but I feel like there comes a point where you you hope that writers will start to really find their their voice and their style. Um, And so... Yeah, that's that's what I don't like is when people feel like they're they they haven't got their own voice enough, um, and also people that are half rhyming without a reason for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I yeah, what do I not like about this industry? So I think that this industry there's been an enormous shift in musical theatre writing over the last decade, huge. Um, just from when I graduated my MA to now, like there's so many more opportunities for writers than there were when I, yeah, when I first came blinking into the world. And, um, and that's amazing. I do think there is still a challenge on getting shows produced. That is changing. Um, we're seeing more and more musical theater, new musical theater shows actually getting productions, um, which is amazing. Um, I think my main issue, though, is that there is there's a real gap for sort of writers that are not emerging, but are not um, Stars and Drew or Andrew Lloyd Webber. Um, And 
So uh, so many of the schemes that support new work are for emerging writers, and that's amazing. It's about bringing new voices in, and that's wonderful. But I think there's a whole level of us that are that have had a show on or a couple of shows on at uh, you know at, um, a fringe theatre or a regional theatre, and and there's sort of it feels like there's nowhere for us to go or there's nothing for us to do, and it's like a lot of the opportunities you sort of feel like, well, I don't want to that opportunity feels like something that I did or have done and I, I don't want to take up the space of someone who needs it more than me, but there's nothing now for me here. I always liken it to feeling a little bit like um, you're sort of helped up a hill and someone like reaches out their hand and pulls you up to, to the hill. And once you get to the top, they turn around to help the next person up Meanwhile, you've fallen over the, the cliff edge because there's no, there's nothing there, but they're too busy looking at the next people coming up. Sure. So I feel like finding a way for those of us that are in this second run that haven't had the Stars and Drew success, that means that we can, we are financially secure mm-hmm. um, or, or that we keep getting opportunities that mean that, yeah, that mean that we are having, can do this without having to have, you know, countless other jobs to just pay the bills. Um, I think finding those, yeah, that that's the thing that I find frustrating. And actually, there's stuff happening, and it's happening with writers. So that Darren Clark, who is amazing, has done created this, you know, the U- new UK musical website, which where we can all sell our sheet music. That's a brilliant thing, and it doesn't, you know, I can't I can't dine out on that on those sales, but it but it it's something, and it gets gets your work out there to people, um, and that's brilliant. So I think a lot of writers. Are, are starting to sort of find those routes to help each other and be like, this is what I need. But I would like to see more of that from the industry and I'm, I'm on a I'm on a soapbox now, but also and from, yeah, from the theatres, from the producers, from the commissioners, I would love to see more thought about longevity. I've always felt that with playwrights, um, the writer is sort of, is key and so if you write a good play other companies like theatres producers will come to you and go we loved your play come and write a play for us if you write a good musical people say we loved your musical have you got anything else and you go no and they're like okay write an entire musical and then bring it to us (laughs) and we'll decide if we want to do with it something with it and there isn't that it's all about the product and not the person Mm. and I think that's yeah and it's I think actually, from what I'm hearing, it's changing slightly that way in playwriting, which is a shame. But it's always been that that yeah, you know, you're sort of you people had confidence in your ability as a writer if you were had written a good play. But if you've written a good musical, it's almost like it's a fluke, and it's like, well, you need to prove to us that you can do it again before we give you that confidence. And actually, the only way that you get better is by having things on in front of people. You know, it's by people going, okay, we're gonna we're gonna. I trust that you are a good writer because I've, you've proven it to us in another way. And yeah, let's see what happens. So I would like to see that development. The How Prince thing of, you know, meeting the writers the morning after the show opens and going, what are you doing next? Mm. You know, like that's what that's what you want from people, that real support over career. I mean, but that's tough, but like that's what I would like. <laughs> oh, well, Gus, thank you so much for uh, spending your time talking to me this morning. Um, really appreciate it. And it's lovely to hear your uh, hear about your work. And, um, and yeah, just thank you for coming on. Pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.